Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown a spotlight on the shortcomings of the U.S. healthcare system, but it has also revealed that the system has the capability to be adaptable. As the country emerges from the pandemic, it has become clear that some things have to permanently change in order to ensure high-quality health care for all Americans. I'm Laura Jost, Editorial Director of the American Journal of Managed Care, and today I'm speaking with Linda Schwimmer, President and CEO of the New Jersey Healthcare Quality Institute. In April, the Quality Institute released a report with BioNJ outlining the problems with the state's healthcare system and solutions that can be implemented. The goal was to make sure that the healthcare system would be better prepared for a crisis in the future. In May, the National Academy of Medicine released its own report that outlined the positive effects primary care has on a society, with its own recommendations for implementation to ensure that everyone in the country has access to primary healthcare. The two reports, while released by separate organizations and taking different viewpoints, one at the state level and the other at the national level, complement one another in the call to strengthen the healthcare system as the country leaves the COVID-19 pandemic behind. So Linda, the COVID-19 pandemic put unprecedented stress on the healthcare system. Uh, the New Jersey Healthcare Quality Institute recently released a report outlining a plan for the state to improve the health system after the pandemic. What were some of the problems that the report had identified? Um, so the report uh, brought together a group of all the different stakeholders that were struggling during COVID to support um, all of us. And um, we, when the group came together, they coalesced around four key issues. The first one was the resiliency of our healthcare workforce. So in the beginning, we saw that there was a shortage of PPE and other supplies, but really as the pandemic went on, the, the true concern was our healthcare workforce, which was um, really being bombarded, um, uh, just stretched beyond their limits, and we really saw the limitations and the needs for the healthcare workforce and their mental health. Um, the second issue had to do with the healthcare delivery system and payment system in general, um, really how we need to reform it, um, looking at issues like telehealth, a nursing home and long-term care, um, and then just more generally, um, the type of systems that we have, how we pay for them, the lack of primary care, et cetera. Um, the third issue was social determinants of health. We know that um, what keeps people healthy and well, 80% of that really has nothing to do with direct health care. And so looking at those issues and connecting them back to the healthcare system. And then finally, our public health infrastructure. Um, our public health infrastructure um, across the country and then here in New Jersey specifically um, is very fragmented, it's very localized. Um, they weren't used to and ready for um, reacting and responding to an epidemic like this. And so what do we do for the future to make sure that we are adequately equipped and connecting public health back to social services and the healthcare system? Those were 
you know, really the four issues that rose to the fore for everyone who was involved in this, in this group, which was a pretty wide array of, of organizations. Great. And so um, the pandemic had taught systems how to adapt to this sort of unpredictability. Um, what are some of the surprising ways you saw the New Jersey health system respond that you think should be carried forward when we no longer have a pandemic to contend with? Well, I think one of the most important things that happened out of this pandemic were the relationships that were, were built and, and, and then fostered. And, and those are the ones that we hope will continue. And I'll start with public health, for instance. Uh, typically, public health in New Jersey is very localized, and they focus on issues like restaurant inspections or animal control, things like that, um, water on lots that could breed mosquitoes. Um, suddenly, they were thrust into the responsibility of having to um, survey and support nursing homes and infection control. Um, so that really, um, they had to connect with local hospital systems, with our volunteer medical corps in the state, um, and really, and, and other community groups. And through that um, necessity, have fostered a lot of great relationships between local public health and churches and senior centers. We never saw that type of collaboration on a widespread basis before. But again, when you think about what's needed to keep people healthy, keep people in their homes, it's that kind of working together and collaboration. And so I know the report had a number of action items around telehealth specifically. So what was the state of telehealth in New Jersey before the pandemic? And how do you hope that the action items in the report will impact use of telehealth after the pandemic? Sure. Um, yeah, telehealth was really, if, if you can say, say uh, it's a silver lining, telehealth was really one of the positives um, that came out of the last year and a half or so. Um, telehealth is it's technology that's been out there and available for at least a little while, but has been very limited for, for lots of reasons. First of all, the, the payment system um, really wasn't set up to incentivize um, healthcare uh, providers to, to invest in it. Um, they weren't paid as much as they were for an in-person visit. There were a lot of requirements having to do with HIPAA where they had to have special equipment and special encryption. Um, there were a lot of rules about where either they had to be or whether where the patient had to be. And so all of these things really limited um, the use and the availability of telehealth. Um, then on a dime, because of necessity, because of having to uh, preserve um, personal protective equipment, um, everybody shifted to telehealth. And, um, and they liked it in a lot of ways. And, uh, but the thing about it too is that there's, there's a real digital divide. It worked really well for, for some people um, and then it didn't work as well for others. And so um, what the group talked about was all of those things, which um, what changes need to be made from a payment perspective, um, what things work well with telehealth, but what things don't. So from a quality perspective, how do we think about this? How do we measure it? And then addressing equity, addressing that digital divide. So how can we get equipment to people? How can we train seniors to, um, to get, feel more comfortable using it? Um, or what adaptive equipment could you do um, to enable them to be able to use it? So 
I'm excited about working on all of those issues. Um, National Quality Forum, which um, I serve on a number of their, their committees, um, they're launching uh, a new uh, group that's gonna be working on this issue that I'm the co-chair of. And um, I think that's really where the country needs to go. Um, I think New Jersey is no different than the rest of the country when it comes to that. We probably have a little bit better broadband access than some more rural parts of the country. Um, and that's a big issue too, is just broadband access, particularly in, in more rural parts of the country. With the, this increased use of telehealth during the pandemic, like you said, um, before the pandemic, telehealth had been around, wasn't really used that much though. But now that we've seen on a large scale how it can be used, um, how do you view telehealth as being able to strengthen a high quality primary care? So that's a, that's a great question. Primary care and high quality primary care, um, uh, at the Quality Institute, we've called for a long time for uh, payment reform and moving away from fee-for-service to these more comprehensive models where there's a capitated payment or a per member per month payment to really then proactively reach out to your patient, provide as much care as possible um, to them, particularly the, the, the care that they need, obviously. Um, but um, telehealth can really be built into that model. So instead of thinking about, this is where I hope we go, instead of thinking about telehealth uh, in this fee-for-service way, and instead of perpetuating this argument about payment parity and should it be the same as an in-person visit, I hope that it really becomes part of a comprehensive practice. So certain types of visits will work really well via telehealth. Other visits you'll wanna have in person. The ability to quickly reach out to your doctor for a short visit via telehealth, that's something that can really expand and complement um, robust primary care. So thinking about it more comprehensively, um, telehealth fits really well in any kind of accountable care organization model or patient-centered medical home where you're really thinking about care holistically and not in that fee-for-service, getting paid by each visit or each test sort of uh, methodology. What will it take um, to actually take action and solve the problems that are highlighted in this report? How do we need to bring together healthcare, government, other sectors to work together to address these issues? So that was really, um, that's a good question, and that was really why uh, we worked hard at making the 24 recommendations in the report consensus recommendations. And that's really the work of the Quality Institute and organizations like ours. Um, we brought people to the table, and we really asked them to look at what does the system need to move forward out of this? And how can we make recommendations together that um, then each of you can champion? A lot of them, we say the government should do this or the government should do that. Um, and that's just because government does control healthcare in so many ways. But it's really for each of us, these various organizations, to take the leadership, to call these things out as things that have to or should happen now. Um, for instance, there's a lot in there about mental health. And we really need to have a sense of urgency in terms of moving these recommendations forward sooner rather than later. And that's gonna take leadership, and that's gonna take each of these organizations that were involved 
calling upon um, leaders and government and others to make the changes happen. Um, we need to allow integrated care, for instance, so mental health as well as physical health to be delivered together in one setting, to be billed at the same time. Um, that's going to take some regulatory changes, but we've been talking about this for a long time, so we should just do it now. Um, integrating the payment for that in Medicaid, again, we've been talking about that for almost 10 years. We need to make those changes now. So we put it out there as a consensus so that others can then kind of help us carry that ball down the field and finish this once and for all. And what is the overall benefit of strengthening primary care and you know, getting to this ideal future of high quality primary care? Well, again, um, about 80% of what keeps us healthy is um, not direct care, but having a connection to a primary care provider has been shown again and again. Um, first of all, it reduces disparities. And if anything, we saw you know, just the extreme disparities in terms of health outcomes and health status um, during, during this pandemic. Um, so having a trusted place to go on a regular basis, have a trusted person, a nurse or a doctor to check in with, to ask these questions you know, about should I get the vaccine, how, how should I get tested, when should I get tested, all of these questions. It's so important just to have a regular trusted person to go to for your healthcare questions and decisions and then to help you navigate the healthcare system and to, you know, if you need a specialist or if you need a test at that point to, to, to have that done. But really making sure that primary care is a common good, that everyone has a connection in some way to a primary care physician or nurse um, would make us all healthier. And it would also help us connect to then the other social services um, that we need to really holistically make us healthy. That, that's the concept, and, 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 and I strongly believe in that. After your organization had released its report, the National Academy of Medicine released its own report highlighting the importance of primary care to the healthcare system. Um, so what does the primary care in that report look like, and does it look like what we're doing in New Jersey? Is it close to what we're doing in New Jersey? Is it what you guys are envisioning for the future as well? So. Yeah, it was great timing because um, our report, as you mentioned, talked a lot about the importance of investing in and moving towards high quality, comprehensive primary care. And then the National Academies report essentially says the same thing and really makes some bold statements that I'm excited about. It says that, again, everyone should have a primary care physician or nurse. And if they don't have one, they should be assigned one. And then that can kick off really them having a, a pattern of, of, of having primary care. Um, we have glimmers of that in New Jersey. Um, some health plans um, have worked for a long time on creating comprehensive primary care and have started to pay for that and worked closely with a number of different primary care practices in the state. It needs to expand. It's definitely not the it's not the vast majority. It's it's we still mostly pay fee for service, so um, we have work to do. But um, I think that the academy's report is a great call to action. Um, it's something that I hope um, all of our members at the Quality Institute will look at and support. And 
Um, I know our state is looking at uh, how we purchase care and how much we're spending on various types of care. I hope that the state will look at that report as well. Um, sometimes spending more on primary care can lead to overall reduced spending on health care and definitely reduced disparities and improve, improvements overall in terms of the health care system. And so the National Academy of Medicine had a large focus on payment reform um, and reimbursement and payment reform was also one of the key issues in the Quality Institute's report. Uh, the U.S. has been trying to move away from fee-for-service for decades now. Right. Um, little progress has been made, although, you know, there has been some. So, you know, is this time different as we emerge from the pandemic? How can we make sure that it's different? Right. I think that's the tough question. I don't think that, um, I don't think it's going to be different just because we want it to be different. Um, you know, a lot of healthcare providers were under a lot of stress, particularly the ones that, financial stress. Um, they were all under all kinds of other stress. Um, but particularly the ones who had to close their doors for a while. And so there's going to be, and there were, we saw a lot of retirements because of that too. So there's going to be financial pressure on them. And so the question is, will they sell their practices? Will they merge in with larger systems or hospital systems? Will everything stay relatively the same or will there really be a call for change? I'm hoping that there'll really be a call for change. Um, now we're talking, we're seeing uh, more dollars go into public health. We're, we're seeing our state have a, a budget that, that um, has more revenue than we've had for a long time. And so I want us to be looking at issues like how can we cover everyone, either cover everyone through insurance or make sure that everyone has access, regular access to good comprehensive care in particularly primary care. Things like that are gonna make us overall a healthier state. And so making sure that these issues are on the table and debated and put front and center, that's really for all of us to do. That's, that's gonna take leadership and focus. It's, it's not just gonna happen overnight or because we want it to happen. I, I, I think you're right. You know, we've been trying this for a long time and unless someone really continues to advocate for it, I, I, I think that's what it's going to take for it to happen. Great, that's everything. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for asking me to be here, and thank you for asking about the report. For more, visit AJMC.com. To get in touch with us, you can email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.